Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. It's time to reimagine therapy and what it means to be a therapist. We are human beings who can now present ourselves as whole people with authenticity, purpose, and connection, especially now when therapists must develop a personal brand to market their practices. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Wilhelm with Katie Vernoy, and we are always talking about bringing yourself into the room and really embracing your personality and your personal brand. There is a limit to this, though, that we are really going to be discussing today. How much is too much? Yeah, I think this is super important because I think there's oftentimes I've heard from clients when there's a therapist in their life or from friends, a therapist in their life that has brought too much of their own stuff into the room, talking about their own financial woes or overdoing self-disclosure and seeming to kind of need help from the client. And that clearly is not something that we're advocating. Absolutely not. And part of this is even just dominating the discussion about things that might not even be personal problems. I think that some of what we get warned about in our training development is that this is something that we don't talk necessarily about our problems. We might bring up something that's a self-disclosure in order to show empathy or how we got through a problem. But we don't want to just be talking about whatever's in the news or whatever is affecting us in that day-to-day life that might not register as something that's super significant, but it can end up dominating the session. Yeah, I think what I've had happen is when there's something big that's happened in the news, you know, right after the election or if there's something, you know, a, a tragedy that's happened, oftentimes I'll take the lead from the client to see if they bring it up. There's times when it, there's there's folks who I think it might impact, I might say, hey, you know, what's going on? How are you reacting to what's going on in the news? But I don't put myself into the conversation because I don't feel like it's relevant. It can really overshadow whatever the client has brought in. And so I think it's so important to figure out how do you decide when it's okay to talk about the, the matters of the day, the news of the day, how, when you talk about your own problems. I think it can be really tough. So one of the things that I look at on this is in Yellum's Gift of Therapy, he actually spends three chapters. And granted, in that book, his chapter are sometimes only two paragraphs long. <laughs> but one of the chapters he really talks about that we have a confidentiality that we must maintain with our clients. And our clients don't have to maintain that same confidentiality about us. He really warns about don't say stuff that you don't want broadcast to the world because your clients might be going out there and saying, you know, Katie's talking about all this weird stuff. It's something where we don't think about it because we're in the room and holding confidentiality for them. And it's this safe space that we're helping to create. But 
our clients are not our friends, they're not our own therapists, and they don't have that same responsibility. And so really thinking about it in the way that the therapeutic relationship is set up is is so critical because we can oftentimes just get really comfortable and disclose things that we really don't want out there. So one of the things that I embrace a lot is my here and now feelings with clients that I tap into a lot of what my feelings are that are coming up as a informed counter-transference to what the clients are bringing into the room. And a lot of times I use that as a basis for deciding what's next. It might be self-disclosure, but a lot of times I'll start off my next statement or my next intervention with, this is bringing up a feeling of anxiety for me, or this is bringing up a sense of frustration for me that I'm sensing that you're having too about this particular problem. And it's really tapping into the here and now aspect of what clients are bringing up that my particular clients tend to really appreciate. It really opens the door of creating a very honest and authentic relationship. I don't know that every therapist necessarily practices in this way, and it's definitely an advanced skill as far as being able to utilize your counter-transference as it's happening. This isn't something that I always bring up every feeling that comes up. Sometimes my feelings are completely inappropriate for the situation. It might be something that's completely irrelevant to what's going on in the client's life. It might even be something where I'm tapping into, I need to pick up certain items at the grocery store on my way home. But I bring that back <laughs> around to, I'm getting really bored with what the client's talking about. And that's the feeling that I need to tap into. I have some version of, you know, I'm finding myself getting lost in paying attention to you. There's been times I've felt myself slipping away and being able to own that and say, hey, I'm getting lost here. Let's let's step back for a second. Let me make sure I'm tracking what you're saying. And I think it helps because if we pretend like we're not bored or we pretend like we're not lost and then try to keep going, we can oftentimes <laughs> end up, you know, kind of making a point that's irrelevant because we miss some pieces. You're just agreeing with something that's being said. And then five minutes later, the clients are like, well, you just agreed to something completely else. <laughs> yeah. I think that one of the pieces that is really important is making sure that if you're bringing your feelings into the room, you're either opening the conversation about this may be my stuff. You know, this is what's coming up. This is what I'm reflecting. I, it may be helpful. It may not be, but let's let's talk about it. Let's see what's going on here and give the client an opportunity to say like, yeah, that's ridiculous, Katie. Like, yeah, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Or it can open a really interesting conversation. But I think coming in and just saying, yeah, I, I have this feeling and it must mean that you're doing this. Like you said, it's an advanced skill. And so being able to have the flexibility to have the conversation with the client and make it about the client and not you trying something on, right? I'm thinking of a client that I'm working with somewhat recently that he has really embraced and appreciated my honest in the moment reactions to things that are going on in his life. So much, in fact, that sometimes he'll ask me very direct questions about what he should do. And he'll call me out on giving a very therapist answer that's not <laughs> middle in one direction or another. And I tell him that my job is not to coach him into what his next decision is, but that everything follows onto some sort of continuum of how this is going to affect him. And that that is something that I don't have a formal answer to yet in being able to look at what the consequences of either direction are, and that I'm kind of coming up with what my answer is in the moment with him. He has really embraced this as being able to look at not needing to have an answer 
answer every single moment. And it's mm-hmm. reduced a lot of his anxiety as well. Yeah, I think when we're doing that, I think we have this ability to be human in the moment to say, hey, there's not a right answer and really help to deepen the conversation. And I think either if we never give feedback or we give feedback that's really based only on our own perspective, both of those extremes can be harmful. I know for me, when I go to self-disclosure, sometimes it's the here and now feelings. And sometimes it's about something that I feel like will normalize things for the client. And it's showing humanness and it's showing my vulnerability, my flaws. But I try to make sure that if I'm sharing something, first off, like you said, I I don't want to have to worry about confidentiality. If someone else heard this, would I be okay with it? But also, is it something that's going to help the client? I don't necessarily talk with all of my clients about the fact that I'm in therapy, but I do have a client that feels like she's been in therapy too long. And I'm like, I've been in therapy longer than you, (laughs) you know, and really being able to talk through that this is okay. This is normal. I know you see me as an expert, although I don't necessarily feel like that's the persona I want to put forward, but I think sometimes that's why people come to us. But I'm human, I'm real, and these are these are real flaws that I have. Now, if I started going further and said, and I've just really had a bad day, and can I just run something past you? Or, you know, if I got to the place where I was using the client to make me feel better, that would be way wrong. That would be inappropriate. It would be crossing a line. And it's that's not, you don't bring that much of yourself into the room. At least that's, that's what I believe. Part of how we reveal things about ourselves too is in the way that we dress, the way that we decorate our office. And some of this stuff might be very consciously brought into the room. I know that for me, when I was first practicing a lot, that I like to dress up for my clients in order mm-hmm. to show a, a level of professionalism. As I've continued to work with clients and as I've worked more and more with adolescents, I found myself dressing down a lot more. I tend to wear jeans into the office more days than not. And mm-hmm. if I have some sort of professional obligation that day, it's my clients talking more about, wow, you're dressed up today. What do you got going on? <laughs> <laughs> For me, when I was initially told what to do and what to wear as a young intern, as a, a trainee in practicum, I was told not to wear skirts that were too I was also a, above the knee. To wear skirts. <laughs> I was told to not wear wedding rings, to be, you know, almost to wear beige and neutrals to just be so blank. And and I didn't really embrace that. I, I definitely embraced the cardigan. But I think for me, I've found that there is a certain amount of expression that goes into how I dress and I don't want to be too one thing or another. So I still, I think, hold that, don't have my clothes stand out, don't have my hairstyle stand out, don't have those things stand out. But I think that there is a limitation to that because I think that I have mixed feelings about this. I think that that we should be able to wear what we want, but I think we also need to be aware of how that could impact the clients and that kind of stuff. I think for women especially, there is such a onus on us from society that we dress in a way that's not seductive or that kind of stuff. And that makes me angry, but I also do recognize that my therapist wore her hair a different way one week and I was so distracted by it, you know? So I think it's something where when we dress in a way that is provocative or is noticeable or fancy or whatever, it can bring it into the room. And so I think we just have to be aware of it. I don't know that I have a specific direction on what we should do and not do. I think each person has to decide that for themselves. But for me, what I've ended up doing is kind of going through and and wearing things that are comfortable. Some days I wear jeans, sometimes I wear business clothes. And and there's times when I dress more, not showy, I don't even know what the right word is, you know, bright colors and, you know, my favorite fancy cardigan sweater. Like I, there's times that I dress 
up times that I dress down. And I think for me, I try to be thoughtful about who I'm going to be seeing and how, how I appear, how that'll impact them. Sure. You bring up wedding rings. And this is something that I have really not thought a lot about. I am married. And I do think that me working with kids, that this is a sign to parents that are coming into my office for the very first time that, well, at least somebody can put up with me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I can probably trust my kid with him if somebody can deal with him. But that's something that is is a self-disclosure that comes out very readily. Mm-hmm. I think that also in, in the style of dress is that I have kids and I do know that my fashion sense has largely stopped once my children were born. That I, <laughs> You can tell for a lot of guys where, where they had kids in their lives because that's just where they stopped looking at fashion. But <laughs> I think in a guy's world that... There's more to this as well when it comes to hairstyles and especially like facial hair that one of the things that I have really wrestled with over the last couple of years is participating in No Shave November, which is about raising awareness for men's health problems like prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. And there's always, you know, the first part of the month of not shaving where it just looks awkward and weird. But that can even at any point during the year, if I'm very busy or having a couple of days, a long weekend where I don't want to shave, that Mm -hmm. it does come across into the office and can be something that's distracting. Oh, yeah. No, I think anything that you do that's different, I think our clients are aware. They may not be as aware as we think they are, but there's definitely some clients who are aware. When I do a lot of remodeling, I always wonder if I've got like paint on my hands and if they're going to see that and and how that's going to be taken in and, and what that conversation looks like. But so much of who we are, if we're being authentic in the room, our clients are going to get a good sense of us. And so I think I think that there's some self-disclosure there, but there's also that piece of when does it become distracting and when does it become detrimental? Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate upfront. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. I had a client a couple of years ago, she was a grad student at the time who could tell the rest of my client's schedule of the day based on oh my how gosh. I was <laughs> She I, she would come in someday. She'd be like, you are working with a lot of kids today because you're dressed down. And mm-hmm. this was something that I had kind of revealed to her early on in our therapeutic relationship. There's days that I dress up because I'm seeing more adults and there's days mm-hmm. where I'm a little bit more casual. It just became kind of a very brief joke at the beginning of each session. But mm-hmm. some clients really do pick up on all of this. Yeah. And I love that you kind of pulled back the curtain on that because so often I think therapists feel like they have to 
be the the professional, you know, knowing things, you know, the wizard of Oz behind the curtain and everything is just kind of magically happening. But in addition to talking about potentially why I'm dressing up or down, I also actually pull back the curtain on therapeutic interventions. I know we had talked about that you and I both do this. And I think it's something where I feel like it's such an important part of creating a trusting relationship with the client, but not all therapists agree with us. I think some people would say, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, if you're explaining why you're doing an intervention, it may lose its power. But I don't think I agree with that. It really depends on what's going on. That Early in my career, I was very drawn to a lot of strategic interventions. And mm-hmm. I still bring them out from time to time. But Jay Haley talked all the time about why questions get in the way. Don't, mm-hmm. ask, don't, don't ask why, just do it. <laughs> and it worked in a, in a lot of cases, especially for behaviorally informed things. But in growth, in longer term treatments, why questions are an important part of pulling back that curtain. And a lot of times I work with clients in teaching them not only what is going on in their life from a therapeutic perspective, but even going so far as to working with them on teaching what the theory is and how it's applying to them in a particular moment. Yeah, I think for me, there have been there have been clients who really feel empowered knowing what we're doing and how it's supposed to work. I mean, I think if we really look at it in a scientific way, when we're telling them what we're doing, we, we increase the placebo effect if we let them know how it could potentially help them. But I think there's also this piece of developing a deeper trust about, hey, I'm going to be saying these kinds of things to you. And this is why I'm doing it. This is what my intention is. And if that's not actually working for you, let's talk about it. Let's actually have a conversation about the process that we're undergoing right now. And I think clients feel more empowered and more engaged to be able to to have self-determination about their therapy. I think that this is especially important too, as the frame of a therapeutic relationship might change. This is something where in my practice, as I've been trained in EMDR over the last couple of years, especially for my existing clients of rather than sitting a comfortable distance across the office from me, having a nice, safe four to five feet of buffer between the couch and my chair, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm now sitting almost directly next to them. And rather than responding to them moment by moment, I'm just directing them back into be aware of that and moving into the next set of Mm -hmm. processing. And I've had some clients really hold back as far as that therapeutic shift happening because it is so different. Mm -hmm. You might also see this when a individual client wants to bring in a spouse for a couple of sessions and moving into a a couples-esque type work as opposed to really just being behind your client. Yeah, that was something I was going to bring up as well. When when I have clients bring in family members, whether it's another member of the couple or a sibling or actually an adult child, oftentimes I really pull the curtain back and say, this is what I'm going to be doing and this is why I'm going to be doing it. I need to join with your family member because otherwise they're not going to be engaged. These are the types of questions I'm going to ask. This is what the the goal of this the session is so that my relationship with my client stays strong. They're not imagining what's going on. They're not putting their own meaning on it. And I think it really is a much stronger way to approach that. It's so interesting because when you talked about your clients shifting how they interact with you when you know you've brought them, you know, you're sitting closer to them during EMDR or whatever. For me, I was really readily apparent of kind of when things shift when somebody is an individual and then starts group with me or vice versa. You know, when I have a, a party at the group and we're eating together and we're having those interactions, it can really change the dynamics and what I choose to eat 
eat and how I choose to interact is I'm sure being assessed and there's something different that's come up. There's some way that we're now having to be aware of each other in a different way. And I think for me, I try to process that as much as I can, but I don't know if there's over-processing that can happen where it becomes more about my discomfort with how things have shifted versus theirs. I think that this is something where it's very similar to when we run into clients outside of the therapy room. And it's definitely Mm -hmm. following the client's lead in those situations that I try not to make too big of a deal about it. And depending on my relationship with some of my clients, I just tell them that I'm usually very lost in my own world when I'm outside (laughs) of the office. That I spend so much time going into other people's worlds when when I'm in the office that I like to spend time in my world when I'm outside. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily that I'm ignoring you, but I I might be aware that you're in my solar system. (laughs) But I'm not going to go and be like, hey, everybody, this is my client. This is C. Yeah. This is what I do. (laughs) Yeah, no, I tell them I actually won't do that because of confidentiality and and pull back the curtain in that way too. And just say, hey, I am always open for you to come up and say hi to me. And you can say I'm a buddy. You can say I'm a colleague. You can say I'm your therapist. It's totally up to you. And I really try to empower them and take their lead in those situations. But recently I, I ran into one of my clients networking. She and I were both kind of out in the world doing this. And I was just such a dork about it. Like I was so kind of thrown off I because I was in too, yeah. such a different, it was such a different environment. And so, you know, I, I think I kind of over apologized about being so awkward about it. And, and then I was like, okay, wait, wait, this is about me. And I stepped back, but it was, it was definitely something where I was like, okay, yeah, I'm super awkward about this. Like I need to start checking myself and make sure that I'm not bringing that insecurity, that awkwardness into the room in a way that becomes about me. Certainly it's humanness. It's, it's, you know, kind of foibles and, and, and vulnerabilities and that's okay. But when I keep over apologizing and keep going into like, I'm so sorry. And that was so weird. And you know, that's about me and not about my client. And I embrace that. I bring these situations up with my clients after I see them. So the next session that comes up, Hey, I noticed you noticing me when we were out at this thing. Mm -hmm. And especially if they've acknowledged me, like when I'm leaving, I'll comment on my awkwardness as far as just like, I am awkward. I'm not the perfect person that you think that I am. And <laughs> most of the time they're like, well, I didn't think that you were perfect in the first place. Yeah, I'm I was like, going to say something about that. <laughs> <laughs> this is really something where I then just embrace it as kind of like, I, I took on the awkwardness for both of us that I'll, I'll be the, <laughs> I'll be the martyr in this situation that just, just like, I'm going to be weird. Yeah. I think one thing we haven't talked about that is a really big one when we're talking about how much of yourself to bring in the room. And that is about our own personal belief systems, whether it's our religious beliefs, our beliefs about science or about different types of treatments. And I think for me, I really try to keep myself out of the room a lot in this regard, because for me, I feel like there is so many different ways that people interact with within their own spirituality. There's different ways that people interact with treatment options and there's different ways that people interact with kind of what they believe. And so if I were to too firmly or even at all move the 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 needle towards my perspective, I think it would really hurt the therapeutic relationship. I think it's a tough one though. I think there's some really good work that faith-based therapists are doing that it's kind of a part of the therapeutic agreement. I think there's folks who are embracing alternative treatments and that kind of stuff in a way that's still kind of grounded in ethics. But I think for me, I just haven't really put that as a baseline of my, my therapy and I don't want to bring that in. 
Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. I think that there's a lot of ways that this can go wrong. And Mm -hmm. I had met with another therapist a few years ago who identified as a Christian therapist. Mm -hmm. And we were discussing various aspects of working with premarital couples. And he was talking about how he refused to work on improving the sexual relationships of clients who were not yet married. Mm -hmm. And I really struggled with that uh, in my reaction to him because there's a lot of our ethics codes that talk about really being aware of how our own personal beliefs affect what the clients are wanting to work on. And to me, this was a very egregious example of somebody who was letting their own personal beliefs interfere with the therapeutic work that clients were specifically asking for. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's something where if you and your client have sorted through and kind of agreed on the foundation of beliefs, that's completely different than if there's an assumption and a refusal to work on something and not meeting the clients where they are. He even went so far as to not refer this couple out that he continued to work with them. It wasn't a, I'm going to own this and not work with you on this particular aspect and I'll send you to somebody else. It was just, we don't work on that. That's something that you are doing wrong in your life that until you're married, that is not allowed. Mm, Yeah, woo. I know that for a lot of therapists, we're taught that you don't talk about religion. You don't talk about politics. I I think that those are nice black and white rules for a developing therapist. But I think that when things like that are really becoming involved in people's lives, and we look at the 2016 US presidential election and the impact Mm -hmm. that that had on people's lives, especially here in very blue Los Angeles and very blue (laughs) California. One of the hardest days that I've ever had in the office was navigating the day after that election. Oh, yeah, I did too. And I had a lot of clients who were very, you know, I heard people talk about it. They were very traumatized by it. And to not talk about it at all would have been a disservice to them to kind of keep it off limits or to not bring myself into the conversation at all would have been pretty, I think, damaging because they would be making up what they thought I thought, you know. And so I had to actually, I had a group two days later. And so there was women in the group who all had different perspectives and and they weren't dramatically different, but they were different enough that it was it was important for me to kind of model how to have that conversation and then say, hey, and this is me pulling back the, the curtain again. This is something where most therapists are not going to go into this, but I feel like it would be a disservice to you if I didn't put a little bit of my thoughts into this because there's I can sense from all of you that you're seeking from me some advice on how to cope with this. And so this is kind of where I'm at and what I've incorporated that seems to be helpful. And that was actually one of the most powerful sessions for those women because they were saying, they came back and said, that was one of the most helpful sessions. This is why it was helpful. I understood who you are. And this is the difference between you and other therapists. I know what you're thinking, at least enough so I'm not making stuff up and feeling like you're judging me or like you don't understand me or that you're thinking that I'm not a good person. And so I think I, I don't I think those those rules are too strict to not talk about politics or not talk about religion. I think you have to take the client's lead, but I think it's ground that has a lot of clinical utility. Absolutely. And this is something where I had kind of broken those rules 
for a long time, even before that election. Mm -hmm. I think that it actually helped me improve one of my relationships with one of my clients who has probably the most opposite political views than I do. And I did follow his lead in going into this, but this was talking about the debates that were leading up to the primaries that were leading up to the 2016 election and things that he was picking up on that I frankly wasn't even aware of at first, but spent a little bit of time in between our sessions, making sure that I was involving myself into his world and his ideology to see where he was coming from. It was because of that respect and the questions that I approached him with, rather than being like, are you an idiot? How can you be... How can you support that guy on the other side of the aisle? It was more of approaching it with, okay, can you help me understand what you're picking up on? Because Mm -hmm. I'm seeing it from this different perspective. And it was approaching it with respect that he has actually really talked about how it opened his eyes to a broader worldview. He hasn't really shifted much in his political ideology, but it was... Mm -hmm. respectful approach to it that really allowed for us both to embrace a lot of the other aspects of his life and how that was informing it. Yeah. And I think your role wasn't to shift his perspective. That would be your stuff and your mission. I think your role was to have the open conversation with him because it sounds like he was seeking additional understanding. He was seeking additional perspective. And if you would have sat back and said, well, I don't talk about politics or whatever, that would have been a missed opportunity for him to really dig in deeper on something that I think my opinion, society is having a really hard time doing, which is bridging different perspectives and having respectful conversations. I wanted to talk about religion as well, because I think not talking about religion or not understanding how morals and values impact people or or how their belief systems value people, I think can be limiting. I've had clients both who have come to me because they felt judged by their faith-based counselor, as well as wanting to talk to somebody who really understood the scriptures or understood their morals and values and wanting to have, you know, more specific referrals for that. I think it's really client by client how much religion is involved. I think there needs to be a conversation to understand the belief systems and an understanding of how do you manage the struggles and the things that are happening within their faith and not kind of do the, I'm judging you because you're not doing it the way I think you should do it. Because I think as therapists, when we can be really open while still having the knowledge and the understanding and the unity in faith, I think we it's more powerful. And so I think when you were talking about that guy that that refused to talk about premarital sex because he didn't believe in it and didn't refer out, I think that's the worst example. I think the best example is someone who has the foundational similar beliefs and is able to then meet the client where they are and sort through things with that given foundation. Yeah, I'm glad that you bring this up. And I want to point out that even as we had referred earlier in this episode about pulling back the curtain on things, this is an example right now of how I even bring this up in session is that even in this episode, in our process, you can notice that Katie and I are not identifying what our political beliefs are, mm-hmm. even as we're talking about politics. We're not talking about what our religious beliefs are, even though we're talking about religion, and that there's a curious understanding of where we're coming from and what people are bringing in that doesn't mean that we're directing how it should go, that it's really being mm-hmm. able to jump into the conversation with an open enough mind to be willing to learn and be willing to 
to accept what's coming in. I think that's really the most important takeaway. It's being open and curious. It's making sure that if you're bringing yourself in, it's to support the client. It's not to support yourself. <laughs> and and I, I love that, that kind of the openness and curiosity is the key. You can you can share what you believe. You can share how you, you see the world as long as it's in service to the client and you're not taking away from what they believe. And this really does build on our earlier episode on embracing your vulnerabilities that mm -hmm. a lot of times when it does come into this nature as far as questions about what my religion or my political views are that clients ask me. I'm very candid when they ask me directly. I don't mm -hmm. feel the need to overprocess those types of questions. I want them to have an understanding of where I'm coming from, that it's a basis of where my development is coming from. And frankly, being in a large metropolitan area, I do have a very diverse set of clients that come from a very different background from me. And in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. in, in fact, just like Katie was saying, is that I have people seek me out because I don't belong to their particular faith or their particular place of worship because I'm an outsider and because mm -hmm. I don't add to whatever shame or guilt that they might be feeling for embracing something else in their life. I often describe it as a therapist that I'm an objective sounding board. And I oftentimes clarify that I'm a caring, somewhat objective sounding board. But I think the fact that I can maintain that objectivity that I can be an outsider is really appealing for a lot of folks. I know that I've had clients who also appreciated that I wasn't so objective and I'm like, I want to strangle that person. I didn't, I guess I didn't say strangle. I really wouldn't say strangle, but some of my clients actually are very pleased when I get angry or I share their beliefs and, and they feel validated by it. But oftentimes the the joy is having somebody that is your sounding board, that they're an outsider and they are only hearing your perspective, and, but they are fully hearing your perspective and not putting their own on top of it. I have several clients who tell me, don't judge me. Oh, wait, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> But it's really a, an opening into the relationship of like, it's okay to have reactions and it's okay to have inappropriate reactions as long as what you're doing with it is something healthy and something that is furthering the process along. And again, these are skills that you need to be very well aware of. It needs to be something that you do together with your client and bringing this forward. My clients bring this up in kind of a joking way, knowing that I'm going to have a perspective that is very different from the blank slate and very different from a more traditional, stereotypical movie type therapist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for me, the piece that the, the don't judge me piece, that piece that that brought up for me is I have clients who come in and say, I was worried that you were going to judge me. And I look at them and I say, you know, I'm not going to judge you. They're like, I know, but I still worry about it. And so then it becomes a really interesting clinical conversation to talk about the relationship and being able to really bring up what it means to be in relationship with a therapist a person who brings enough of themselves in is authentic enough that you understand who they are and you get their feedback, but they're not putting their own problems, their own potentially rigid belief systems on you so that you can really dig in and explore your world. I'm thinking of the line in Tropic Thunder where it's just like, I'm a guy, pretending to be a guy, pretending to be another guy. <laughs> and I, I, I reference a lot of movies and and tv shows and clips and stuff with my clients but i use that as kind of a jumping off point with some of my clients as far as like 
I'm just a guy responding to another guy's life in another guy's situation. <laughs> and because as much as we can recreate the parallel process that's happening in our rooms, it's a very unique relationship that we mm-hmm. develop with our clients. And to ignore that and to pretend that that's not existing really is a disservice to clients. And I, it limits. And I, it, and I really do like to embrace it as this is what is a potentiality. And the best way that I can do that is to bring me in there. Be aware of where those limits are, that even mm-hmm. as directive as I can be with my clients, I'm very cautious to let them make their own decisions to talk about the different consequences that I can see based on my background and my experiences. So it's encouraging them to be themselves. Yes, I think that that is key. We need to encourage our clients to be themselves and support them in becoming the best version of themselves. And sometimes that's bringing our perspective in in a pretty bold way. And sometimes it's really making sure that it takes the back seat so it doesn't hurt them. So if you really want to see how much of us is actually there and- Or too much of us. (laughs) Or borders on too much. We will be at the Evolution of Psychotherapy Conference in Anaheim this week. Come and stop by our table. We'll be in the exhibitor hall. We'll be broadcasting- We'll even be live feeding on our Facebook page from time to time. So if you want to make an appearance and become part of our world, please come and visit us. Uh, Yeah, yeah. We're going to have a blast. Please join us. And when we talk about all this stuff, we do have some show notes over on mtsgpodcast.com. If there's resources we talk about, I try to put that on there as well as kind of some of the big nuggets. But please make sure that you check that out and, and see what else you can glean. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or any of the other various platforms. Leave a review for us and have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code modern gets you two free months.